We've been hearing the drums beating since the spring. A federal election is on the horizon. Maybe early summer. Maybe midsummer. Well, here we are in the first week of the 44th federal election campaign. Is this what Canadians need or want? Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm Ed Hand. We're coming to you from a remote location and practicing physical distancing to enhance safety. The federal Liberals have governed through the pandemic with a minority propped up by the NDP. Now, in this country, we have fixed election dates, and this comes early as there was no need to have one until 2023 unless the government lost a vote on a money bill. That hasn't happened. Pollsters have been touting the grits to be within striking distance of a majority, which many observers say is the driving force behind this election. Many see it as opportunistic, the Liberals to call it, while the country deals with the fourth wave of the pandemic, fueled by the highly contagious Delta variant. At the same time, BC is being ravaged by wildfires, and ground-penetrating radar continues to find more children victims of the residential school system. And just last weekend, 20 years of work in Afghanistan went up in smoke as the Taliban. Yeah, remember the Taliban? Well, the Taliban are back and have taken control of that country again. Our unpublished.vote question asks you, do you think this is the time for a federal election? Yes, no, or unsure. You can log on at unpublished.vote and have your voice heard. Coming up on the Unpublished Cafe, we'll take a look where the parties are now with Abacus Data. Later, Stephanie Schwinnard will join us from Queen's University to look how the provinces could impact the results. And first, I'm pleased to be joined by Warren Kinsella. He's political commentator as well as the former chief of staff to Prime Minister Jean Chrétien. And Warren, in your opinion, is this the most unnecessary election in Canadian history? Yes, yes, it is. It is unnecessary and unwanted. And, you know, there was an ECOS um, just before the campaign kicked off indicating that 40% of Canadians were just opposed to having the election now. They were upset, quote unquote, at the prospect of it taking place now. So, you know, I think the prime minister, I understand, you know, he wouldn't be the first politician to be opportunistic, but he needed to heed the lessons of history. If you look at David Peterson in Ontario in 1990, you look at um, Jim Prentice in Alberta in 2014, both of those guys went early, earlier than their mandate indicated, as you just talked about a few minutes ago, and they got punished at the polls. So I could see that happening in this case. This is a kind of a Seinfeldian election about nothing at this point. We talk about opportunistic and, and you know, when you look at, go into an election, you're looking at your competition and there, there's not a lot of support or, or great support for the conservative leadership. And while well, Jagmeet Singh is, is making a bit more inroads, he seems to, to still be a bit of a, a weak link. Is this all opportunity that they've taken a look at the competition and said now is the best time? Yeah, I think so. Um, but, you know, again, their reasoning on that is is faulty, I think. You know, if you look at O'Toole, expectations for the guy could not be lower. And I used to work for a guy, Jean Chrétien, who uh, expectations about him were regularly low and he'd take advantage of that. So I think that's something that Tool, O'Toole's got that works for him. And in the case of Singh, Singh's been on the move. You know, I don't think he's in Jack Layton, uh, Orange Crush territory yet. But he's been doing exceptionally well for months. And all of the pollsters have found that by a long shot, he is the most popular federal leader. So, you know, I think Trudeau took a risk in terms of his opponents. But, you know, you've identified, 
you know, the other issues that are working against them as well. And you got wildfires raging in BC and Alberta and Northern Ontario. You've got the pandemic surging. You know, we've got about 60% more cases than we did two weeks ago. And then we got the terrible, terrible situation in Afghanistan where, you know, this prime minister and previous ones made promises to those Afghans who helped us during the 10 years we were in that country fighting that war and he hasn't delivered. So I, you know, I think, uh, I, I don't know what Justin Trudeau's ballot question is, but after one week, after, you know, nearly seven days of this campaign, I, I don't know what his message is and that's dangerous for him. Is there any focus on the Liberals on Quebec and in particular the Bloc Quebecois on this election? Yeah, and the Bloc have done uh, pretty well. You know, they've got a leader who I think is one of the best communicators on the Hill at the moment. Um, but, you know, even if Trudeau steals a couple seats from the Bloc, the Bloc's probably going to steal a couple seats from him. So Quebec is really a wash. I don't see Singh moving into Quebec in the way that Jack Layton did a decade ago. Um, so Quebec really isn't in play. What, what's interesting is what took place in Nova Scotia on Tuesday night. I don't think any of us saw that coming. I certainly didn't see it coming. And that may suggest that if Atlantic Canada is in play, uh, Mr. Trudeau is in deep, deep trouble because, you know, he's not going to pick up seats significantly on the prairies. He's got what he's got in Ontario. So this election night may come down to the lower mainland of B.C., in, in your opinion, who, which is the biggest threat to the Liberals right now? Is it the Conservatives or, or is it the NDP who've been propping them up? The NDP. Uh, I think that uh, Singh, you know, this is Singh's second national campaign. I was watching him at his launch in Montreal. You know, he had a group of ethnically diverse young people behind him. Uh, his pregnant wife was beside him and he just looked you know, like a million bucks. He looked like a guy who understood TV, how to communicate to guys like you in this kind of format. Like he's really good at that. I, I think O'Toole's gotten better. I think Trudeau's always been good at it. But Singh, if I were running the uh, liberal war room, as I've done in the past, the guy I would be watching in my rear view mirror would be Jugmeet Singh. Now, if uh, the liberals don't get a majority come September 20th. Uh, do you expect uh, Justin Trudeau to resign? Yeah, I think he's gone, you know, and that's why he got asked that question no less than six times, times as he stood outside of Rideau Hall, because I think the, the media, including the media who are traditionally friendly to the governing liberals, you know, the Toronto Star and CBC, everybody recognizes this isn't a consequential election, as the prime minister put it. It isn't pivotal. Uh, it's not because he's being stopped in Parliament, because as you pointed out, he gets his way in Parliament. This is really about because he wants a majority. That's what it's all about. And if he doesn't get it, I think it's logical and reasonable to say, well, you haven't won what you want set out to win. You put through the country through a $600 million, very divisive election campaign. You need to go. And I think he will. Warren, I want to thank you for joining us. Thanks, my friend. Warren Kinsella is a political commentator as well as the former chief of staff to Prime Minister, former Prime Minister Jean Chrétien. Well, when the election was announced on Sunday, Abacus Data had the Liberals with a nine-point lead. Eeyore Korbovich is the executive director of Abacus Data, and he joins us now. And Eeyore, from uh, the announcement on Sunday to, well, to today, there's been a shift already in your numbers, has there not? 
there has. The liberals have seen a significant drop from that kind of high of 37% that they've been enjoying over the summer down to 33% today. Um, now, just to touch quickly on where we're coming from uh, in terms of each of the party's popular vote share in 2019, that number is quite close to where the liberals ended up um, at 33% of the popular vote. That's what got them their kind of enhanced minority government. Um, the, the Tories uh, were at 34%. So when we're looking at the 28% uh, vote share that the Conservatives have today, um, that's more of a significant drop rather than a return to the status quo that the Liberals are seeing. And then one of the interesting, uh, more interesting or as interesting trends we've been seeing is on the NDP front, where uh, typically throughout the year uh, since 2019, and certainly this was reflective of their popular vote share as well, uh, we've seen an incremental increase kind of from the 16, 17% mark um, all, day, all the way up to 22% of the popular vote uh, today. So. Uh, a lot of this isn't um, exactly surprising uh, to, to us that to watch these numbers closely and have been through a couple of um, elections by now, typically things do tighten because there's a bit of a difference between kind of asking someone a hypothetical, if there was an election, uh, how would you vote and telling someone, uh, well, there's an election coming up and what are you thinking? Um, and so you typically see that bit of tightening uh, happen in the horse race when uh, the election begins. Uh, but certainly it's not great news for the Liberals to see that drop right out the gate. When you see that drop, where did that uh, did that uh, wind up on the, uh, the side of the NDP? You see a little bit of an improvement. So the, the CPC was doing even worse throughout the summer. So they were sitting around the 25% mark. Um, so they've inched up a little bit, uh, as has the NDP. Um, but one of the things that I find interesting about this is kind of reflective of some of the other fundamentals uh, we've been seeing uh, shift over the course of the last year. And particularly, particularly by that, I mean uh, Mr. Singh's kind of uh, emerging popularity. If you look at approval uh, numbers for each of the readings, uh, each of the leaders rather, Justin Trudeau has typically always enjoyed a very large support base uh, and a very large opposition base. It's about kind of 40% uh, approve of him, 40% oppose, and then you have this uh, small little middle ground. Um, and then uh, Mr. O'Toole and Mr. Singh almost kind of have the uh, opposite or, or take a piece of each of that scenario in that Aaron O'Toole, uh, he enjoys all of Mr. Trudeau's negatives, uh, but none of his positives. His approval uh, numbers is only hovering around 20%, so half of, of the prime minister's. Uh, Jagmeet Singh, meanwhile, his approval rating is the same as the prime minister's. It's around the 40% mark. Um, but it has only half of his negative. So there's a lot more goodwill uh, towards the NDP leader this time around. My sense is this is based on kind of a, a familiarity uh, that he's achieved uh, with the electorate, um, having been leader uh, for a while longer than Aaron O'Toole and having already gone through a electoral con. So voters kind of consider him a bit more of a known quantity and, and have a sense of who he is. Um, and of course, for Aaron O'Toole, it's, a, it's more of an uphill battle. Uh, these things are going to change for him. I mean, uh, 
typically when we talk about approval ratings and uh, leader awareness, we always caution that if a, a candidate hasn't gone through at least kind of one um, electoral period, there's really not a lot of uh, opportunity there for Canadians to get to know him on the national stage until this happens. So that might very well improve quite rapidly for Aaron O'Toole, depending on how the campaign goes. Uh, but for now, uh, things are looking much rosier for, for Jagmeet Singh. Now, many felt to many Canadians felt this election was unnecessary when, when Abacus Data asked, do Canadians feel that way? Uh, that's one of the the interesting findings we've uh, we've seen in our data in the last few weeks is that it's a resounding no. You've got about twenty percent of the population that is either um, we asked it in two ways. One of which was, uh, are you upset that an election is being called right now? Most Canadians say, well, hey, it's not ideal, but um, I'm not looking to punish anyone for calling an election. Fair game. Um, uh, another 20% are kind of enthusiastic to have a chance to, to have their say. Uh, but we asked it in a slightly different way, which I also found interesting. Uh, the framing was, if there is a fourth COVID wave, uh, and if it's bad, um, and it's happening during uh, a federal election, are you prepared to punish the Liberals? Or are you going to be angry at the Liberals for calling uh, what some have been viewing as an unnecessary election. Certainly that's the opposition talking point. Um, and most Canadians don't feel that way. Um, only 20% of the public uh, kind of feel like they're prepared to be angry at the Trudeau Liberals for calling an election at this time, should the pandemic take a turn for the worse. And of those, you know, the majority are already folks that aren't going to be voting for the prime minister to begin with. Um, so it's not too uh, much of a factor in terms of uh, something that's going to weigh down the Liberals um, this time around. How do you see millennials impacting this election? Yeah, I, well, I'll start by saying, uh, if you look at, before we get into the generational uh, vote stuff, if you look at some of the issues that are driving uh, this election, or, or rather driving uh, voters in terms of directing their their vote and, and how they say they're going to vote. Um, a lot of the elements are kind of cost of living issues. And that's people have been saying that for about three, four decades, um, that every election has been kind of about the economy stupid. It's always about the cost of living. Now, certainly there are different flavors of that. So, you know, uh, this time around, and it was the case in 2019, that it was a cost of living um, election at a time of unprecedented climate crisis, um, and this time around, a global pandemic, uh, health crisis, economic crisis coming out of that, um, super hot property market, housing crisis, um, all these things are happening. But at the end of the day, when you ask folks, well, why are you voting this way or the other way, they're saying, well, you know, I want a better, easier quality of life. The cost of living is getting uh, too high. And so for millennials, um, the there are certain pieces like housing, like childcare that are particularly poignant. Um, and a lot of the 
the parties that are, or at least in their minds, are offering solutions to some of those problems are predominantly the Liberals and the NDP. Um, so right now, the, the vote share uh, for the younger generation, the under 30s, splits fairly evenly uh, between uh, Jack Meet Singh and the NDP and the federal Liberals, uh, which actually wasn't the case um, uh, last time around as much, and certainly not in 2015, when that demographic uh, was the group of Canadians that carried um, the Liberals through to majority territory. Uh, so they're kind of split and a little bit perhaps less enthusiastic um, about the Liberal option this time around. Uh, but both the Liberals and NDP are more or less competitive on the issues that are important to them. So it'll be a bit of a battle between the two parties to, to establish who can steal those votes away. Is there a lot of available room for the Conservatives or the NDP or even the Greens to grow? Yeah, uh, particularly for the NDP. Um, so if you look at something we call voter pools, uh, which is kind of the, the grouping of voters that are accessible to each party rather than uh, the group of voters that are intending to vote for each party um, today, you see that the Liberals and the NDP have kind of that wider pool uh, approaching kind of 50% uh, of the population, whereas the Tories are working with a much smaller uh, segment. Um, it's somewhere around the 40% mark. Um, so certainly there's a path to victory for the Conservative Party. Um, with that 40% of a population, uh, it's it's common and, and not at all, uh, you know, impossible uh, to get there. The Liberals last time around got a, a fairly hefty minority with only 33% of the vote. Um, but the NDP do have that wider acceptance um, as almost as many people that are willing to vote Liberal are willing to vote NDP. And again, uh, I would tie that back to that piece around uh, that affect towards Jagmeet Singh and his reputational premium that he's enjoying this time around. Eeyore, I want to thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Eeyore Korbovich is the executive director at Abacus Data. It's interesting that the prime minister has many detractors for calling this election during the pandemic, but many provinces held elections at the same time. Stephanie Schwinnard is an assistant professor in pol political science at Queen's University, and she joins us now. And Stephanie, the prime minister says this is the most important election for this country since 1945. Do you agree with that? Uh, if it's the most uh, important election since the end of the Second World War, the Liberals went in uh, a little unprepared. So it seems uh, they are the last of the uh, major parties uh, to uh, come out with uh, with a platform. And uh, they didn't even have a plane until day three of this campaign. So uh, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to see the discourse and the actions on the ground right now. You know, uh, the concerns about an election in the pandemic, are, are they valid considering the provincial elections or, or do you see it's more rhetoric? Um, Canadians don't like to go into elections. Generally speaking, there is rarely uh, a, a huge appetite for, for elections. Uh, but uh, of course, it's a risk. Uh, it, it, and, you know, we've seen other provincial governments play Russian roulette with pandemic elections. Uh, and I'll, I'll put Scott Moe aside here because, of course, he had to go into an election. His mandate was up. Mm. Uh, but uh, we've seen provincial governments where, you know, things went really well. Blaine Higgs got... Uh, rather lucky on that front. 
Uh, Newfoundland and Labrador last winter was not so lucky with a, a big outbreak of, of COVID-19 in the middle of the campaign, which uh, pretty much derailed the election uh, for, for a couple of weeks. So um, we, we don't know yet what this, uh, what this campaign is going to look like. We can only hope for the best, I think. You know, when I look at those provincial results, you know, traditionally liberals enjoy success in Atlantic Canada, but the results all came back with the exception of uh, Newfoundland with Tory majorities. Is there something to read out of that? Um, I think the uh, the Nova Scotia election, particularly, which uh, just took place this week, uh, can give pause uh, to the Liberals in that uh, what we're seeing is that the winds are changing. You know, uh, there was... Uh, this uh, this streak of uh, governments going into elections and getting majority mandates during the pandemic. Ian Rankin just found out that this is not true for everybody and that campaigns do matter. Uh, Houston ran a very tight campaign, actually ran left of the Liberals, uh, which is a bit strange for the PCs. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, good management of, uh, of the pandemic does not mean that the population will automatically give you a new, a new mandate. And Ian Rankin found that out this week. However, it, we, we always need to be careful when we look at uh, progressive conservatives in Atlantic Canada because they are of a different breed than uh, the conservatives federally. Uh, they are much closer to the center than Erin O'Toole's team is. Uh, and um, and a, a lot of uh, conservative-leaning Canadians in Atlantic Canada don't really see themselves at home uh, with the present uh, CPC. Um, and obviously, uh, when uh, Peter McKay lost the leadership race last year, that that rang particularly true. I think that stung a little bit, particularly in Nova Scotia. So, so it's not it, it, the results of the Nova Scotia election don't necessarily mean that we're going to see a blue wave in Atlantic Canada on September twentieth. You know, when we look at uh, an election in particular, here we are in a, in a, in a pandemic. It's all about turnout. You see, you mentioned Newfoundland and Labrador and the problem they had with that and the delay. Uh, do you foresee uh, a turnout being a driver, a key issue in this? Like whether it be low turnout or whether it be high turnout, do you see that being a driver to the win? I can't imagine we're going to beat records in terms of, uh, of voter turnout this year. First of all, because, you know, it's a campaign in the middle of the summer. Uh, and uh, I, I don't foresee that many Canadians are very preoccupied with, uh, with the election right now. Uh, a lot of people are still on vacation and there are more of the mind, you know, leave me alone. Let me handle uh, my vacation for the last couple of weeks that we've got um, before uh, things start going back to normal with kids going back to school and so on. Uh, but also a lot of Canadians are anxious with uh, the prospect of going to the polls on uh, during a, uh, the fourth wave of the pandemic. Uh, and and we're, I've, I've been fielding a lot of questions about mail-in ballots, for example. So uh, Elections Canada says that they're, they're ready for that eventuality. They're thinking that up to 5 million Canadians uh, will vote by mail this year, which is, um, you know, uh, a, a, quite an uptick considering that in recent elections, uh, it was about 50,000 Canadians who voted uh, by mail. Um, but uh, but I, I don't think that uh, that a lot of people uh, are, are going to show up to the polls this year. Um, so you figure, and that's where, the, where I was going to go, we'll see more uh, more turnout at advanced polls and, and well, mail-in ballots for the first time. Yeah, and, and that might create a situation where we actually won't know the result of the election on election night because uh, mail-in ballots are only counted on the day after the election. And if, you know, the 
prediction that Election Canada is making turns out to be true, that millions of Canadians vote by mail this year, obviously it's going to take more than one day to count all of those ballots one by one. So we may have to uh, to sit tight and be a little patient uh, before we find out who gets to make up the next government. Mm, very interesting. Stephanie, thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Stephanie Schwenard's an assistant professor in political science at Queen's University. Our unpublished.vote question asks, do you feel Canadians need a federal election right now? Yes, no, or unsure? You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote and have your voice heard. I want to thank our guest today, Warren Kinsella, political commentator, Eeyore Korbovich, executive director at Abacus Data, and Stephanie Schwenard at Queen's University. I want to thank you for watching the Unpublished Cafe. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.